You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. 1935, the Lions win the NFL championship. The Detroit Tigers take the World Series. The Red Wings bring home Lord Stanley's Cup. Joe Lewis begins his rise to world domination. This transforms the Motor City into Detroit City of Champions. Ah, here we go, Detroit City of Champions, the podcast. I'm Jamie Flanagan. Charles Avison. And we are unfolding the story of the 1935 year. Along with us on the far side of the table, Tom Urich. All right, Tom. And uh, this is just a, a story that needs to be told. It needs to be told on, on, on a podcast, and it needs to be told on the big screen. Uh, that's our goal. We're telling the story here on the yes. podcast, and, and we're going to turn this thing into a movie. we got Hollywood listening. We already got the screenplay written. It's been a year of my is, life working on it learning how to write screenplay. And David then and Affleck back together again. Yes. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, we, we need, uh, Ryan sure. Reynolds, they're all lined up. It's everybody's at, no, I'm, I don't know. I'm thinking Tom Hanks because he loves, yeah. the, Tom Hanks loves the 30s and 40s stuff. He did Band of Brothers. The screen, the movie is written in the same, you know, sort of uh, style as a, as a uh, Band of Brothers style. It's like, you know, think Band of Brothers, a, but just a sports movie. That's the he's, way I uh, he's, he's got that old timey thing down. Nowadays. Yeah, he loves doing that kind of stuff. So maybe I was, you know, like Tom Hanks, I think it'd be a good fit. You know? if, I'm, if I have a bunch of directors in front of me and the you old know, producers, <laughs> I'm like, hmm, Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg. They got to interview us, you know. They'll be, they'll maybe we'll be have them on the podcast oh, one yeah. day. Spielberg, so, Tom Hanks, we like in studio, sitting next to Tom. Here. I, would, I yeah. would like it a lot. <laughs> but uh, so, Charles, you good? Everything, uh, how's your world, man? It's good. I'm yeah, good. I'm good. I'm yeah. doing a little Bitcoin I've never, trade. It's I've a little never, ugly today. I've never, I've never, we don't ever. We just dive right into it. Yeah, we, we get do. so excited about the the sports and. The, well, I'm and glad the stuff. to be doing this show right now because I've been doing Bitcoin for the last little bit. And I've been doing pretty well up until today. Was an ugly day. <laughs> and yeah, so it was it? like it's a Bitcoin it's a little distraction from watching the number just plummet all day. <laughs> Does it have to do with the the change of administration, or is it just uh, the banking world having fun with your Bitcoin? From what I hear, there's uh, some big whales out there that have been buying and selling and tanking ah. the market so they can buy in super low and start new hedge funds with Bitcoin and all ah. that. It's, uh, who knows? Well, if it's really low, now's the time to get in. Now, yeah, if you're looking to buy into Bitcoin and that, now is probably a, now or maybe even wait a little bit because I think it's the ticker still going down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the spiral. <laughs> wait until after the show's over and then jump in. So that guy trying to crack open that uh, that thumb drive that has like, what's the two two point <laughs> yeah. fifteen million dollars or something of Bitcoin on it? Yeah, he can't like remember the damn password. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, he, yeah. I don't know. He's There's the other guy that's <laughs> trying to dig through a dumpster looking for, or it's like he threw it out like 10 years ago and he's paying him money to dig through a landfill or whatever. Like they're they're becoming less and less inclined to do it as we speak. I was yeah. watching the financial news with Jim Cramer tonight, and they talked about that guy that won the lottery in Maryland, the seven hundred and fifty billion dollars or whatever. Yeah, and he was recommending what to buy, and what do you think he recommended? Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Uh, I still recommend it. I'm in it. I wish I just had more money because I'd be buying more. <laughs> that's maybe that's just like some kind of an addiction. Or they something. had Bitcoin like, in 1935. <laughs> yeah, that's, they're, they're like it's. I wish, like I say, if I had a little more money, I'd. Uh, I'd buy more. Like it's some kind of a, a problem. I don't know, but we'll see who's laughing last when I got you know million dollars. That's I'm it. About to get a million dollars off. But there's. Uh, we just want to thank everybody who's hanging out with us. Uh, you guys come and, and hang out, and uh, I appreciate you guys being here and, and, and talking about this story. And then the people who you know either watch it on YouTube or Facebook, and then uh, the audio podcast. Um, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to it. That that helps. Leave a comment. That is uh, massively helpful. We appreciate all of those. Um, 
and as we un, uh, talk about the different sports, everybody loves different sports for different reasons. Uh, we talked about the Tigers. We talked about the Lions. We're gonna we, we we're not done with any of these teams by by any stretch of the imagination. There's always you can oh, always go yeah. deeper, and there's always more players to talk about, more stories to tell. But we finally got to the Red Wings, um, and we're talking about this is uh, a fun one. Yeah, our Red Wings. Yeah, we uh, we we, we, we dove into the birth of the NHL. And then uh, how those cougars moved <laughs> from uh, Victoria. What's funny about the Victoria? That? I, nothing. I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing that I remembered it correctly. Oh, okay, good. No, that's... <laughs> uh, and cougars is just funny. to me. I was me trying to set up, tease some up for you. I just cougars <laughs> is just funny to me. And then uh, uh, so yeah, so the the cougars are, are here and uh, they're becoming the Red Wings, and that's that's kind of where we're well, at. Well, and here, we're meeting we're, the players. We're, and, where we left off last week to be a little to. to, to take it specifically yeah was jack we just we discussed jack adams the player last week it was jack adams the player yeah the hall of fame player yeah and so um we we talked a little bit about how you know a lot of times we hear the name jack adams if people remember the name they'll remember him as like the old the old man that built the red wing you know that had the you know that with gordie howe he had some disputes with ted Lindsay and all these different things that's sort of the jack adams a lot of people remember Hmm. but the jack adams that we're talking about well, we talked about last week was Jack Adams, the player who was there in the earliest days of hockey. You know, the hockey equivalent, like for for baseball fans that maybe aren't so inclined to hockey. This is the era that the era of there's like an era of hockey that is like the same kind of like nostalgic era as like the Ty Cobb era yeah. in baseball. And so, like this is like the sort of Ty Cobb era of of hockey. And so, and Jack Adams was a Hall of Famer in that era. So, um, so like he was a you know he, he was a he was a star. He was a superstar in his day, and. Where we left off at the end of the show last week was Jack Adams. Um, we left off with a quote about Jack Adams getting a job. Um, the the Detroit, or the Victoria Cougars had moved from from Victoria, Canada to um to you know to Detroit, mm-hmm. and so um the, in their first season, the the Detroit Cougars were dreadful. And Jack Adams, um, the, you know, this is a this is they, they I listed off the issues that they had when Jack Adams was arriving. Um, they had no stadium. <laughs> um, they played, so the team played in Windsor. Right. Um, right. they, uh, uh, their best player, Art Duncan, had just had left the team and uh, Detroit was in last place, Ugh. um, to finish. So they, so it was literally Jack Adams was taking over an organization that was at is the ground level. I right. mean, this is only their second year in the NHL. Hockey itself is, you know, I mean, they, hockey had been around for some time. I mean, it's kind of like baseball, you know, stretched all the way back to the 1800s. Yeah. But, um, but you know, the NHL is, you know, they're just, I mean, this is, they're, they're, they're just still introducing the game to an American audience. And so this is like the very beginning of the, of, you know, the NHL as we know it. And so that's why it's kind of a cool, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's where we left off. Yeah. And just as, you know, so, so the Detroit, so the, the Detroit team's in last place. They have no arena. Their best player's gone. And as we're going to see this week, in very short span of time, all three of those issues are going to be resolved huh. right off the bat. All right. Okay. And so that's where we're going to begin this week. And so Jack Adams um, takes over in the year is 19. Uh, the year is 1927 is the, this year that we're, that we're going to start speaking of. So this is the Red Wing. This is the Detroit hockey franchise, the Detroit Cougars second year. And it's Jack Adams first year. Mm-hmm. All right. And so um, to right off the bat, the problem with the arena is resolved because they've been building an arena for this Detroit hockey team. Uh, hockey team. I didn't know that. The old Red Barn. 
Yeah. The Olympia Stadium, all right, is built. <laughs> okay. And it's been being built, right? So this is something we kind of left out. We didn't I didn't even give a teaser that it was happening, but Yeah. So they did they had no arena, but they were building one. Okay. So I didn't really mention that. I was kind of like I wanted to lead, you know, lead off with that. So so the so as we know it as the old Red Barn, at this point, this is the new Red Barn. Okay. Okay. So this is the new Red Barn. So the so the so right off the bat, the um Olympia Stadium is 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 open and the in the stadium is opened. Um, on October 15th, uh, 1927. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we have a little clip to throw up on the front screen. Sure. Of picture. Sure, sure. And this is like the coolest thing. Like yeah. I, there's, a, um, I met a man when I was doing these books, his name was Glenn Moore and he has like the greatest collection of D De- of, uh, of Detroit Red Wings and Detroit hockey, uh, game programs. And he like, just let me borrow them. Like <laughs> this guy, he gave me a stack of game programs and I'm looking through them. He's like, here, you know, like I talked to him, we we're cool. He's like, yeah, I got these game programs you can use for your book. And so I'm looking through them. I mean, it's like every single year since like, not just like, oh, he's got a lot of them. No, the, the, the picture that we have on the screen right now, yeah. the very first event at Olympia Stadium, um, which stretched across the course of a week from October 15th to October 22nd was a rodeo. And what we have on the screen right now, this is straight out of the book, is the game program from the rodeo. <laughs> this is before the first game at Olympia, the first hockey game. All right. So this is the this is a uh yeah, so it's got so this is the rodeo program from nineteen twenty seven. Wow. All right. So I had to show this to anybody that's especially people that are watching it. Um if you're not watching it, you know, maybe pop over on YouTube and take a look because it's cool. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so the very so the first event is a rodeo, October fifteenth uh to uh October twenty second. And we can pan to the second clip, which is, um, which, because shortly thereafter, November 22nd, uh, is the very first hockey game at Olympia. And so I, and he had the game, Glenn Moore had the game program for, for that too. I mean, he had both, you know? Unbelievable. Yeah. So, um, so the next clip Jamie's going to put up there is the game program. So, anyways, um, what's, what's like incredibly cool about this, about this, the next game program we're putting up is that the bottom of the program, the bottom of the program had a stamp on it and it was stamp number 174. And you can see it in the picture if you look Uh, really, really close. All right. But, uh, the game program is stamped number 174 on the bottom, which means like they were stamping these things, like how many game programs. They might have used them sort of as like tickets or something. I don't know, but oh. they maybe they kept track of how many sales they had of those or something by stamping them. <laughs> but, but, um, what, but you could tell it was an ink stamp. It was slightly off a little bit. You know, it was definitely a stamp. And so, anyways, so what I was, th- I was like, I'm holding this program in my hand and yeah. I'm like, the original owner of this program, the fact that there's a rodeo program and the first game program, right. like he had both of them means the written Glenn wasn't there. He wasn't old enough to have been there, but whoever was the original owner, like was one of the first couple of hundred people that were at Olympia, Whoa. you know what I mean? For the first game, right, right. for the opening game. I mean, <laughs> that's like, I'm like, <laughs> that's incredible. It's just so cool. Like yeah. this is one of the first couple hundred programs. I'm like, this thing is literally priceless yeah. in this in Glenn. Just let me borrow them, you know, to wow. scan them. And I got all the pictures, the insides of the game programs in my book. So you can see all the different stuff. I threw a picture up on the screen next to the, um to, next to the program cover, which shows the first, Detroit, um, with the, the first team with Jack Adams as the Detroit Cougars. And then I isolated the picture of Adams on the end of the, of the, on the end of the team photo. But that was the first, and that's like right in the game program. It shows a picture of, um, the, the first Cougars or the first team with Jack Adams is the, is the coach. And there's Jack Adams, young, you know, super young in that picture. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look at that. And, um, so, you know, the old English D on his chest and all that. So, 
Um, you know, they took that Tiger logo, of course. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's that first team. So, anyway, so so the issue number one is resolved. The stadium is they have a stadium now. Okay, well, and so um, yeah, so um, so the, so the uh, so the second issue is that you know their best player had left, Art Duncan. If you can keep that screen, pan all the way to the right of that screen, that the guy right at the far end to the right. So anyway, so the, so there's a guy on this team photo. He's all the way to the end of the right, and that's Larry Ori. Larry that Larry Ori's rookie season is um is in this is in Jack Adams' rookie season. Signed and scouted scouted by Jack Adams, oh. and Larry Ori is like there's there, I've got a hand you know I mean I I love all these guys. There's I mean I, I'm like this guy's my favorite player. He's one of my favorite <laughs> players. He's one of my favorite players. You have so many favorite. Players. I have so many favorite players, but Larry Ori. So just to give you a little, so his, so this is the first like star that Jack Adams, uh, this is the first star of the Red Wings. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, of the Detroit, I am so used to saying it right. Um, this is the first star of like the, the Detroit hockey franchise, mm-hmm. um, Larry Ori. And so here he is on the original team photo from the very first year of an Olympia, his, his rookie year. And so Larry Ori, just to give you a couple, you know, Jamie, you like nicknames, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tom, you like it. nicknames, yeah, right? Yeah. So I do too. So I threw a couple to show you, you know, give you a little, because nicknames sometimes kind of show, reveal a little bit about a, a guy and so he had three different nicknames um uh little dempsey like as in jack dempsey mm-hmm. so little dempsey the sudbury buzzsaw because mm-hmm. he's from sudbury i think it was ontario sudbury canada right. yep. so um and then the little rag man the little rag man because um so his like so his style of game was he was a, um he was a right wing and so his style of game was like he was a total scrapper Total scrapper. He's a, like the you know they call him the Sudbury Buzzsaw, Little Dempsey. Like this, there was a, there's a there's some stories where when we get into him, we'll talk more in detail about him. But because there's so much to talk about with Larry Ori, but um, but he was just like he would like there was a one guy talking a story about how he, um it was like in the it was in the late 30s and this some big guy had hit him and Larry Ori came out of nowhere and just was like a bull terrier he was pounding on this guy <laughs> and so he was like he like saved me um so anyways um so anyways so he was like he was a total scrapper they all were really scrapper i mean really yeah. you had to be a scrapper in this era this is a rough this is a rough neck era of hockey um as we're going to find out in many other stories but um so anyways he was also he was uh he was a kind of player that like he was a he was a he was like sort of an all-around guy. He was he was able to score very he was a great scorer, great defender. Um and the in his nickname of the little ragman came from the idea that like when there was a penalty um and Jamie if you're familiar with the game of hockey with the with the, when there's a penalty, you know, one team has to kill the puck, like the other team if there's a penalty one player goes to the box, the right. other team's shorthanded. And so it's a power play. So yes. the other team's on a power play in that. And so the other team has a one man advantage. And so your goal is to keep the puck away from the other team as long as you can so that, you know, you don't, um, they don't score on you with a man advantage. Sure. And so Larry Ori was especially adept at doing that. Oh, okay. like he could take the puck and he could just like play his own game of keep away. Uh, um, <laughs> just like as long as it needed to be done. Like he was just, that's why they called him the little rag man because it was called ragging the puck where you're just okay. not. You're just trying to keep it away from the opponent. Like you shoot it down the ice, you do whatever you can to keep it away from him. And he was just, he just excelled at that skill. So anyways, Larry Ori is the guy that right off the bat that Jack Adams recognizes is, in fact, Larry Ori has, if the next picture we have on the screen with Larry Ori, this is also from that game program. And Larry Ori had his, even, even in his rookie year, he was identified as, um, as one of the stars, he, this, like he was, um, in this original game program, he is featured. Yeah. There's a, the, 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 yeah. Okay. You gotcha. Okay. 
Um, so anyways, so anyways, yeah. So that um, so so he's actually featured in the game program. They knew right off the bat that he was going to be one of their anchors, and so they started to promote him as one of their stars. So um, so there we go. That's box number two checked. Uh, you know, box number one, they need a stadium. Box number two, they need a star to replace the guy that left. Um, and so they got now they have a young star in Larry Ori. And so in step number three, and by the way, they lost that first game um, to Ottawa, two to one, oh. November twenty second, nineteen twenty seven. Um, oh, I want to finish one other thing before. The, so, um, and that, so, so what's also really interesting, um, about when the, about when Olympia stadium opened up, which a lot of people might not know this is that, um, is that only, uh, a month before on October 22nd. So a month before the very first hockey game at Olympia, a month to the day, October 22nd, um, U of M, the big house opened up. Oh, so the big house opened up. A month before Olympia Stadium to sort of put like so that's what was so cool and then and what's what's really cool is that U of M sent their band to play on opening night at Olympia oh. so the U of M band was there playing and that and then in between periods they had figure skaters entertaining the crowd it was a sold out oh. crowd fifteen thousand at this in that at the at Olympia oh. fifteen thousand you could fit in there and so they had so opening night was a sellout sellout crowd um figure skaters u of m band you know all the all the you know all the uh larry Ari. and so uh anyways so after all that uh the very after that um this corrects the various the, the final issue that jack adams faced with the team was in last place because in this season they finished in second to last place so that's a step step in the right direction, you see. So they answered all three problems right yeah, off the yeah, bat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Improvement. Yeah, so they improved, right? They yeah. were second to last. So so like I say, they, the stadium solved, they got a they got a star, and now they got their they got one uh one a little bit better than the previous year. So um Jack Adams accomplished it all in the very first year. So but uh so that's a you know, they they achieved that sort of low bar to start off Jack Adams' first season. Um but uh, but there was much more work to be done in order to raise that bar. And so to achieve that, and this is all, also takes place in 1927-28. This is Jack Adams again, first year. Um, so Jack Adams, um, one of the sort of r- the thing that was happening in, in, uh, in, in sports at that moment, especially, I mean, really baseball primarily, yeah. um, was the invention of the farm system where the minor league teams would become feeder Feeder, you know, like there, there was minor leagues all the way before, but now these the major league teams would have minor league teams specifically for growing their own talent, and that concept was led by Branch Rickey in baseball. Well, that fad was not unique to baseball; like other, the, the hockey picked up the same concept. Um, and so what, and so what ended up happening was uh, at that moment, 1927, as we, as we said, uh, Jack Adams started his own minor league hockey team, which in oh. in in that team is Tom. Can you guess what team that is? You got me on that one. Detroit Olympics. Oh, oh, you've been waiting for this for the longest time. You've been waiting for the Detroit Olympics story well, forever. Here yeah. we go. Okay. Oh. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm, lear- I'm listening. I'm okay. Good. No, you're good. You're good. So, so anyways, it's the Detroit Olympics are founded. So the Detroit Olympics play at Olympia Stadium. And what's unique about this team yeah. is that in the – so usually minor league teams are set up to play in like other, other cities, right? Because you want to like – you don't really want to – tap into the same fan base like the tigers minor league teams don't play in detroit they right. play in like toledo and, yeah. and lakeland and stuff like this um so anyways uh so you usually <laughs> want to spread your minor league teams out around the country because uh-huh. they 
uh, because they draw their own revenue. They draw from a, from their own unique town or city or whatever. But Jack Adams was the only person in the country at that time, the only person that had the only team that had their minor league team playing at the same, not only the same city, but the same building, the same site. That's correct. Yeah. So they, so they, um, so, so the Detroit Olympics also played in the same ice at Olympia Stadium. Ah. And the reason why, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of assuming why, I guess, um, because like it, 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 like the, the reason I believe they uh, they were so bad they were moving people up and down so quickly. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. That's a, but that's a good speculative argument. Um, but uh, so I speculate that the reason was is that Jack Adams wanted to have like personally oversee the development of his players. That he personally wanted to oversee these guys because he was like because the reason that sounds I, a little more reasonable. Yeah, well, yeah, we could go either way. You know, there's a couple. Well, he different... could set one down to the Olympics and watch them. In the there's same that time. too, sure. Yeah. And you could have smaller, potentially smaller rosters for a team that's not doing financially great. You that's could have right. smaller rosters but and you, bring you the could make players quicker up. changes. Sure. Exactly. So you could see that. I could see that happening too as a reason. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, so but also the, but the reason that leads to the, the reason I made that conclusion is because Jack Adams was like obsessed with scouting and player development, like especially scouting. Like there's an article uh, it towards the end of the. Um, in the 1935, when they get to the uh, to the finales of their seasons, I don't want to give away the ending about mm-hmm. what happens to the Red Wings, but when towards the <laughs> towards the end of their best part of their season, um, they, uh, uh, they um, Adams left the team like on a road trip so he could go scout a player over in like Hamilton, Canada. Oh wow! Okay. So they're like getting ready for for a big moment of their year, and Adams is out scouting some guy. You know, <laughs> like they're. So I mean, like he like so, so he was like tenacious about player development, finding the next big thing, yeah. and so anyways, so that's yeah, so that's what leads my conclu- you know thoughts to that um, is that he did it so we could have a. Personal. Are they are they still the Cougars at this point? They're still the Cougars. Okay, They're still the Detroit Cougars. And they, they went. It's only the first year with Jack Adams. Did yeah. they go through a couple name changes? From what I recall, from like our we'll earlier. Top of the top of the thing, so we're still the Cougars. We're still right for now. the second. It's, so it's the second year in Detroit okay. for the hockey franchise. Adams's first year, and they're de- yes, they are still the Cougars. But they got that. They got that red and white. So, so, yeah, red and, and white. Uh, they and kept they, the color of the, the Cougars. Yeah, they, and the, they the big yeah. D. Um, and they have, yeah, it's red and white with that. It's the same colors we would recognize today. Yeah, and it's, it's that vintage D that they 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 pulled out. They started Tiger pulling D, those yeah. out for the. Uh, uh, those winter classics, I think, is when they mm-hmm. they first started bringing those back. Well, a lot of these teams, and you'll notice a lot of you know people that are have seen a lot of different sports history yeah. stuff with like football and stuff. <clears throat> you'll notice, and still, there's ex- existing examples where <clears throat> a lot of these like football and hockey teams they would take the same name as the baseball team right. to associate with that they're the major league of that you know the counterpart of that particular team. In fact, the the, the Pittsburgh hockey team at this time. Um, was called the Pirates, yeah. and so you have. Um, I mean, still to this day, the New York Giants in football. I mean, so was there, there, right, right. it's a Giants baseball team. So was their football team the Pirates? Yeah, yeah well, that's Pittsburgh. yeah, that's yeah, exactly. They were that's they would try to associate with those other established but sports. Just when I when I see this, I just I'm like, oh, look, those those are Red Wings, you know. When I see this this image, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but these are Cougars. Yeah, these are the Cougars, and so uh, yeah. So because I was reading as you were talking, I was reading this thing. It's like here are the new Cougars. I'm like, oh crap, they're still called the Cougars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're still definitely still the Cougars at this moment. All right, so, so this uh, their first and second seasons here. Yes, and so um, so anyways, yeah, so uh, so so this is their first season. So their second season, nineteen twenty eight, nineteen twenty nine. Um, they are uh, they move up again as far as their quality. You know, their their record, their fifth best in the ten in a ten league ten team NHL. So their fifth best, 
And um and they and Adams finds another star, Uh-oh. another star that he can build his team around. Right. And this uh-huh. player's name is Herbie Lewis. And we have a picture. All right, Herbie. Let's, I'll grab Herbie here in a second. And so a lot of times when people are reading about the Red Wings in 1930s, there's not there's really not that much information on the 30s Red Wings. Mm-hmm. But usually there's usually you're reading a, a section about it in a Detroit history book of some type, and um. And and uh, one of the players that you're going to see, you know, you'll see a mention of quite a bit is uh, is Herbie Lewis. Um, he was he was he was absolutely one of the um one of their one of their stars. And so here he is. Yeah, you get a little picture of him right here. So Herbie Lewis, um, uh, his nickname was the Duke of Duluth. <laughs> and so there's a, I can't wait to actually do a entire. I want to do an entire show on him because. Yeah. There's this fantastic story. Um, there's this fantastic story about him in the minor leagues, and uh, I don't even want to get start going down that path. But sure. he, he, like, he played like he, like he, like he gets his nickname from like from the minor leagues, and he's just a. This, there's this incredible rivalry he's got with a with another player that um, carries on to the NHL. So we'll get to him at at some point. I love but, these. Uh, I love these gloves. Yeah. Look at these gloves. Yeah, they're like That's leather. Just like yeah, heavy that leather. Is, that is yeah. fierce. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so Herbie Lewis is sort of known for, um, for for speed and s- speed scoring consistency and neutralizing the other team's best, um, like best like scoring threat. So, like as a for- like he was a forward. He was a uh, he's a left wing. Yeah. So, um, so anyways, Herbie Lewis is one of the fastest players in the NHL. But his scoring consistency, I actually went through the 1935 season and I, um, and I, like, he never put up like massive numbers of goals, mm-hmm. but the consistency was ridiculous. Like, and I mean, I don't mean like, oh, he had 20 goals in 20 games or something like this, or, you know, it, it was usually more like, uh, you know, he played four, like 50 games. So he would have like 20, 25 goals, 20, 25 assists. Mm-hmm. But so that's not anything super, super special. It was like, a, you know, basically like a point a game. But but what was interesting is I actually went through because like when I'm when you're when you're reading like article after article after article and you start to notice that like you know who scored the goal Herbie Lewis who set up the goal Herbie Lewis <laughs> like every game Lewis is mentioned in is a, either a scoring a goal or setting up an assist and so I actually systematically went through to per, to like test this theory I had about his consistency at least in 1935 I didn't do it for every year but um but for 1935 I looked at it and it was like. Seriously, there was only like one game. There was like the most that it was. There was the biggest span without a goal or an assist was like two games. Oh. Otherwise, he was it was a goal or an assist. Like he never had like two or three. It was always like one, 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 one. Like he was a contributor like every single game. He was the playmaker. Yeah, but he, but you see, but he wasn't like you see. What I'm saying like it was just consistency. Like every night, he it's an assist or a goal. He's right. chipping in somehow offensively. Every single night. So, like I say, it wasn't necessarily about Herbie Lewis. It wasn't necessarily about his like flash, you know, big time numbers that he put up. It was just that like it was like game in, day in and day out. You knew you could get a score out of him somehow. And so, um, but he would like I say, he was also known for being able to. They used him at least like he wasn't just did it every single game, but he was mm. like one of his the things they used him for was neutralizing, um, you know, like targeting the other teams fastest and sort of big, you know, flashiest playmaker, they would stick him on that guy and he uh, would, tr- Herbie, and that was what eventually, in the, you know, in one of the Red Wings' biggest moments of the year, yeah. like Adams would recall and say that Herbie Lewis was like, like literally one of the top four memories he had from his ability to stalemate these other guys. So, um, so yeah, he was a four, you know, he was an offensive guy, but he was also, um, tremendous defender and incredibly valuable on that, you know, on defending the other team's forwards. 
So, um, so that, so that's 1928-29. It's the second year of Jack Adams. The, you know, the third year of the of the Victoria of the Detroit Cougars. And again, they finished with the fifth. They finished fifth best out of ten teams with a 19, 16, and nine record. So moving on to the third year of of Jack Adams um, in Detroit, and they find their third star. Uh-oh. And we can put that guy's picture up there. Is uh, Ebby Good? Is so Ebby Goodfellow? Okay, Goodfellow. Yep, it's a good fella. So, um, so yeah, so Ebby, so his, so full name Ebenezer Ebby Goodfellow. Okay. And so I know I, I've already said this already. Like, I know I like this. This guy's like one of my favorites. He's yeah. one of my favorites. He's one of my favorites. <laughs> and when we get to Bucko and McDonald, I'm going to be like, Bucko is my favorite. I swear he's my favorite. <laughs> but, you know, but Bucko is like my favorite. Like, he's like, I, I guess you could say like a fan favorite. You know what I mean? Like, like for like, you know, like almost like, uh, like, uh, like in a singular year kind of thing. He was almost like my favorite 35 player, mm-hmm. like the guy that like tipped the bounce. We'll get to Bucko at some point, but my favorite like Red Wing from this era, like pound for pound, like year in and year out Red Wing from the 1930s is Ebby Goodfellow. He is like jacked up, man. Yeah, He's got is, like I a love cut on every his nose. Fo- every photo you see Scar him in. on his forehead. Every photo you see him in, he is like, <laughs> he, like he, you know, he's looking right at you. Oh man. Yeah. This is, yeah. And so. He like ripped off of his sweater. Yes, like like I say, like Ebby like Goodfellow, as you can see in that picture, that's why I kind of chose this picture because I really think it does a good job in showing yeah. this intensity of Ebby, of Ebby Goodfellow. And um, and so this the, the, the Ebby Goodfellow is um, – this is a guy, and when we get to really diving into Ebby, like I'm going to make a case for why Ebby Goodfellow's name should be retired by the Detroit Red Wings. And not only am I going to make that case, I'm going to make it emphatically. Okay, <laughs> like I'm going to go – like I'm going to make this case and like when we make the movie, when we make whatever, like I'm going to continue the Ebby Goodfellow um uh jersey retirement for there's did, no reason to have numbers? Absolutely. Yeah, oh, he's okay. number I believe number five. All right. Because you um, said his name and I didn't yeah. know. So retire his number. Yes. So retire his number up in the so you know the, the idea with retiring a number is that a player they were so good wearing that number right, right. that nobody will ever you know, nobody will ever sure. contribute at the same level wearing that number again, thus it's got to be retired. Yep. And the other thing and the advantage of um the, of having that jersey retired is that uh is that fans for the rest of time can see that name and be like, hey dad, hey mom, who's good fellow? Who is that guy? Right. And then it takes them back, oh, I don't really know. Let's look him up. You know what I mean? Like it gives you a reason why you know yeah. you have ever present reminder at the games of you know keeps the those you know the history alive for these teams yeah. and uh, the Red Wings they have no they have no jerseys retired for the 1935 Red Wings really there's not a single but here's the thing I take that back number six with Larry Ory is retired Jack mm-hmm. Adams and uh, Norris Jim Norris ret- retired his number when they were at Olympia and when they moved to uh, when they when they moved to um, Joe Louis Arena. The jersey like got lost or something or other. nobody knows exactly what there was this big campaign in the newspaper to like hang his jersey back up in the rafters oh. and they never did. And so Larry Ori's number, there's only the only person that's ever worn number six since Larry Ori is like a it was a relation. It was like a cousin of Larry Ori. Yeah. And they specifically allowed him to wear it because he was a blood relation. Right. But otherwise, Larry Ori, nobody's worn number six since huh. Larry Ori. But it's not in the rafters. But it's not in the rafters. And none of none of the Red Wings <laughs> at 35 are. Not Ebby Goodfellow, not any of them. Even yeah, there there there's no and that's what I'm saying, especially Ebby Goodfellow, career Red Wing, career Detroit from the very beginning. One of the most like this guy's a captain. I forgot how many years. We'll get into that when I have the notes down, so I don't 
um, give the wrong amount. And like the, the, the wait till we get to this, to the contributions of Abby Goodfell and his sum total. And I'm telling you, there is no way that you, that anyone can make a case the right, like when I put down the case for Abby Goodfell's number, you know, retirement Jersey, you know, retirement of his Jersey, there's no argument that can possibly be made against it. Well, maybe it's because no one, uh, maybe they retired the name Ebenezer. Because no one is called Ebenezer Jay, anymore. Always coming in and out. Of Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be a, that could be the reason. But Ebby, but Ebby's a great nickname, man. That's that such is. a cool name, Goodfellow. So, anyways, so Ebby Goodfellow is he comes up through the ranks. This is Jack Adams' first success with his minor league development system. So he comes up his first year is with the Detroit Olympics, and he in the at the time the, the Olympics played in the IHL. Um, so International Hockey League, mm-hmm. minor league, the minor league, and Ebby Goodfellow leads the league in scoring. This this guy, he's a plays center, and he is an absolute monster. He's not only one of the just he's like he's not and he's not a like some big flashy skater. He's a big guy. He's one of the they, his nickname was the Big Fellow. <laughs> All right, he this is like a, this is like the like Gordy Howe before a Gordy Howe. Yeah, he is a big man. And he's one of the biggest in the league. He loves to fight. Mm-hmm. He loves to beat the. Beat the heck out of people. All right. He loves to fight and he is an like some of the I've got I've got pages and pages of photos of Ebby Goodfellow slamming people. Mm. All right. Fighting people. There's I have a photo where he's where there's a guy, he threw a guy into the into his own team's like box, like where the rest <laughs> of his team was. And Ebby is in the box fighting the guy. Okay. Like there's like Ebby is a monster. <laughs> I okay. Love that. And so, and wait till we get to really get into this with Abby Goodfellow, um, because uh, when he gets into these, when he's when they're battling against the Chicago Blackhawks, the Blackhawks have another um, have a couple of guys. They have the, this Russian on their team mm. um, that is a, a, an also like a big bruiser type. And Abby and him go at it repeatedly, like him them to hate each other. And I wrote him into the screenplay is is like that too. With this, you know, he's one of my main characters. I wrote him in was that he's got this like bloodlust for this, you know, for this Russian that the um that the Blackhawks have. And so uh, anyways, Ebby is just like I mean, every like like we're I wait so just I don't want to get too far in him. I start going a little crazy with Ebby, but um <laughs> but he, like this is the guy that leads the team out of the tunnel every single game, okay. no matter what, captain of the team. Um Oh, was he just, captain? He was like, absolutely. I forgot how many years, but I don't want to give it. There's a yeah, couple yeah. things. There's a there's an incredibly unique series of circumstances which arise. Is this year two or three? This is so. This is Adams's. This is the the, uh, the Adams' third year. Okay. When when he when he when Abby Goodfellow comes out of the uh, comes from the Olympics. So he plays with. So Abby plays with the Olympics in Jack's second year, mm-hmm. and then he actually plays with the Red Wings. I'm sorry. What, I keep saying the, with the Cougars, which in Jack's third year, which is 1929 to 1930. And so, um, and so, anyways, I want to read you a quote. Just give you a quick quote with Abby. Okay. I know you're going to go off on Abby, but I already have a quote mark, so I got to follow the follow, yeah, yeah. follow the notes, right? So page, uh, so I, I don't, I don't read the, I was reading the page, page five sixty eight in the book. Yeah, that's where this comes from. Okay. Uh, so, anyways, so this is uh, Ebby's first game with the Detroit Cougars. Okay, that's how. So, anyways, um, so, uh, okay, so right here, so this is Jack Adams' interview. This is actually a quote from nineteen thirty six, but Jack Adams is recalling um, Ebby Goodfellow's first night. 
So as long as hockey is played in Detroit, you probably will hear stories of Abby Goodfellow's stormy debut. I can never forget his courage, declared Jack Adams. Since that time, he has been my pride and joy. Ebby was a tall, gangling kid who weighed about 160 pounds when he broke into the Olympics in 1928. He led the International League in scoring his first year with 34 points. He was a natural from the start. Here Adams took a deep breath and recounted Ebby's first season with the Red Wings. Ebby was a rather pale-faced kid, said Jack. In the first few, game, the first few, first few games he played with the Cougars was against Boston. A few of the old-timers, including Eddie Shore, decided they would strike fear into his heart early. That first night, they must have knocked him down 40 times, but he kept getting up and coming back at them. It wasn't so many nights after this that the Maroons with their famous S-line, Siebert, Stewart, and Hooley Smith, came to town. Here was the most feared line in hockey, and what happened the night they ran into Goodfellow can never be forgotten. Siebert on a rush caught Harvey, Ro- Harvey Rockburn, under the Rockburn played for the Cougars. So Siebert on a rush caught Harvey Rockburn under the chin with the butt end of his stick. Rocky cr- Rocky crashed crashed on the ice in the on the back of his head and was knocked out. We feared for his condition. Before anyone realized what was happening, Goodfellow tore into Siebert and floored him with one punch. Stewart rushed to Siebert's aid and Ebby and Ebby dropped him also with one punch. What a beginning for a kid! And when you look back at that start, you don't even wonder he's the hockey player he is. Abby, too, remembers that night very vividly. I can never forget sitting in that penalty box between Stewart and Seibert, he said. They were making all kinds of threats, and I must admit, I was scared. So Abby knocked out, <laughs> punched two guys, two of the most feared hockey players, you know, at that time, you know, in his very first, yeah. in, in his very first, you know, one of his first games, his debut. So they got him on the... I got, uh, and I mentioned Eddie Shore in there. Eddie Shore was also he, Eddie Shore is probably the most feared, one of the most feared man. I've read so many articles about him. Eddie Shore is, a, and he's played for Boston. Yeah. So they have uh, a, a list of captains here, and uh, you know, I don't know. No, I don't want to go uh, too deep into it. I, I yeah. know, like, I didn't want to do that. Do that because there's a whole specific story. Uh huh. We'll get to that. We'll get to that in a couple episodes. Because Dylan Dylan it. Larkin was just uh, named yes. uh, captain, and he was the what is it, thirty seventh, forty seventh. Captain of the well, why don't, you know what Jamie? Why don't we give him Lark- a teaser? Thirty seventh captain. Yeah, give him a teaser. I'm not going to say anything. Larkin is the thirty seventh captain. I'm not going to say anything, but I want you to read. You're yeah, going to yeah. do a teaser just by reading off the years that Abby Goodfellow was the captain. Well, this one it says only one. No, that's why I'm saying this list. No, that's absolutely why I'm, not. Well, that's why I'm saying that's why I was asking. I got. I'm trying to find another list because yeah, I'm going to guess that one's correct. like wrong. It seems wrong. That's why. That's it why is. I was asking. Well, that's, we'll cover that in another situation. Yeah. Because I want to make sure the detail – because there, there was a very specific thing that happened, and that, that list might not cover Current it. roster. Yeah, I'm trying to find a, another list because the, the list – I was trying to f- find out how many years he was and, and you know Larkin being yeah. the 37th. Uh, these guys being the Cougars, were they counting those guys yeah. as as red? You know, maybe. Yeah, and I they are, and they are. Okay, good. Because it goes back in, into okay. the twenties. We'll get to that in a second because because there's a very specific story I want to tell with this. Yeah, with with, with Edby's captaincy because. All right. Um, I don't want to want to go to her. I'm going to give it away because there's a couple of this, and it's not just Wikipedia. It's this thing called Elite Prospects, and so hockey history, and so I, we'll I, yeah we'll do some research. Well, yeah. and I'll, I'll find a couple of lists and try to sort that. Out. Yeah, I mean. I'll have the. There's a whole story that dives into it. There's a whole the story captain, that his yeah. captainosity. Yeah, there's it's a it's a story that I've never <laughs> like. I've, you'll never. I don't think. I, I think it's unique in hockey. I don't think it's ever been done before with regards to somebody's captaincy. 
And um, right. it's a it's it's an it's just a fascinating story. Is this part of Ebby's story when we do uh, on Ebby? It'll be part. It'll be in a couple episodes. Okay. Because we'll um because it's sort of part of the overall story. Okay. But it's essential. Like I, it's worth. I'm not just going off on a tangent when I spend a little extra time talking about Ebby because he yeah. is a central figure in the story and his captaincy is going to like like him getting the captaincy is like a story unto itself and it was actually they use it as a tool. And I will get to that. I don't want yeah. to get. I start talking right. about. It, we give it away, but it's no, a, I, but Abby's a central figure in everything that goes on from here to nineteen to the end of the you know till till whatever good things happen at the yeah, other nineteen thirty five season. Not to <laughs> give away anything. I didn't mean to digress. Yeah, no, I digress. Um, I'll go off on tangents all day long. Man, that's like so. what I'm known for. So, um, but anyways, so anyway, so Abby, so, so they so they get Abby. Okay, they find yeah. Abby. And so, um, and you know, the year before he gets, you know, like I say, he comes up from the Olympics. He has a, you know, the, he has his first season, um, with the, uh, with the Detroit, with the, with the Detroit Cougars. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, so now Adams has really got his, his third sort of star that he's building this team around. Um, so anyway, so, so, so we, uh, so now, so this is 1929-30. And this is again, Jack Adams' third season with the team. And, and so, uh, he, this season, they kind of regressed. They're the third, the third worst team out of 10 teams. Mm. And, uh, and now, um, so now the, uh, um, the Great Depression hits. This is 1929 to 1930. It, 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 the Great Depression hits. And so, um, so now, uh, just to show you, so the, so Jack, so that, so Adams is pretty much running everything now. He's not just a coach. He's not just the GM, but he's like kind of like, he's like, the custodian of the entire team. He's yeah. not the owner, but there's like, but he, for, he's almost like a de facto owner. Like right. he's just in charge of making this thing go at this point. And so anyways, um, so the great depression hits and the, the team's finances are, are just absolutely awful. And so, um, uh, anyways, to show you one last thing about Abby, how valuable Abby was is that Boston at this moment offers Jack Adams $50,000 for Abby Goodfellow. And as we recall, Mickey, Mickey Cochran was sold in 1930, in 19, at the end of 1933 for $100,000. Right. And this is, you know, this is, um, three years before that. So $50,000 at a time in the Great Depression. And, and sure. Adams is struggling with money in the Depression and he turns them down. Wow. He's like, no, like Abby's, there's no, we're not selling him. And so, um, so anyways, uh, and then just, I also want to read, I have one more quote to read about hockey at this time in Detroit to show how, um, just to show how tough they had it. Okay. So the great depression is one thing, but the fact is, is that there is, is it it kind of shows, uh, how, um, hockey in Detroit was at this time, like how non-existent it was. Like this, and so what is there? Okay, so this is from the book we had last week. That Phil, this is my book, but I also, but I took it from the uh, Phil the Ranger book. It's a quote from him with the uh, "If they played hockey in heaven," the Jack uh-huh. Adams story. So, uh, so anyways, so Jack Adams. This is actually uh, from a year or so before. So, if Jack Adams' prideful optimism was at his peak when he rolled in Detroit in the fall of 1927 to take over the coaching duties of the hapless Cougars, it was quickly steamrolled back into proper perspective. Jack had some peculiar problems to face, not the least of which was that the hometown hockey fans took delight in rooting for the opposition. Detroiters didn't know or understand hockey. They thought a cross-check in the blue line were Taylor's patterns. Compounding the indifference of most of the city's sports fan was the fact that their hometown NHL club had played his first season. All right. Um, so the fans came out in good numbers, all right, but most were from Windsor and almost to a man they 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 did their cheering for the opposing team. Hmm. 
especially if it happened to be wearing the colors of one of the league's four Canadian entries. The cheers were particularly loud when the Toronto Maple Leafs visited Olympia, and the place went berserk when the Leafs slaughtered the Cougars, which happened quite often. <laughs> I've never seen a place like this in my whole life, moaned a disillusioned Adams one night after a bad loss to a visiting uh, Canadian contingent. There just can't be another city in the world where the home team isn't popular. Even when we win, which I admit isn't too often, we get booed. Things just have to change around here. So, like I say, so this is you know this is adding to the weight of the issues of this situation yeah. is that they their fans, quote unquote, fans are not even they're not they're rooting for the other teams at this point. So, anyways, so this is the, the you know the issues that Adams is facing at this moment, and uh, so going into nineteen thirty thirty one. Um, the culminating point where we're trying to get to is 32. Uh, so 1930-31, um, they find a forced, fourth new star, Johnny Sorrell. I'm not going to go too much into detail with John Sorrell. We got a picture of him, though. Okay, we'll get it in a second. So uh, so Johnny Sorrell um, is a left winger, and um, I mentioned him because he's one of these original uh, original guys that is still going to be with the wings in 35, uh, you know, with, with Adams in 35. Um, nicknamed Long John, which is uh, – you can – there he is. There he is. Yeah. So, um, and so this, so 1930, 31, um, because the depression had hit so brutally and because they're trying to still make their name with Detroit fans, they tried to engage the fans a little bit more by changing their name. They wanted to, to so they opened it up to a newspaper contest and uh. let the fans vote on the new team name. And that's the name they came up with was the Falcons. Okay. And so, so that's it right at this. So 1930, 31 is the first year as the team is the Falcons. And in this season, Ebby Goodfell, 48 points, 25 goals in 44 games. So that's pretty good. Wow. And so at this exact moment, Pittsburgh Pirates, the hockey team, uh, folds. And they move to Philadelphia and become known as the Quakers. And so that this, so the Quakers just Quakers, kinda, yeah. So just remember, just the Quakers are going to be one of the worst. Teams. Today it'd be like the Earthquakers, but yeah. then it was probably like Quakers, like yeah. The Quakers know. are known in NHL history, like anybody that looks at like NHL history. The yeah, Quakers yeah. are 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 legendary for they're like I think they are the I can't imagine there's a worse team. They had like four wins. So the Quakers are like the worst team ever in yeah. NHL history. And okay. That's the team that moves to Philadelphia, becomes the Quakers. And so anyways, it's it, it's uh, pseudo-important. We'll, we'll be talking – there's Quakers are going to have a little bit of a role to play in a future – a couple future uh, story components. But so um, so anyways, so the uh, Pirates fold – but it, just saying the Pirates folding, it kind of shows you um, the situation in hockey at this time where, you know, the the, the here's now the, the newly named Falcons – they're struggling. This is the, this is the depression. Hockey is not the number one sport. There's nowhere, you know, top three, you know, barely, there's only top two or three because there's only a couple, <laughs> three sports there to play. And so they're, um, um, you know, it's, you know, big name professional sports like this to play. So, so anyways, at, you know, this is, you know, the fact that a team folds, uh, it kind of shows you that, you know, this is an era of great, uh, of upheaval. We're going to see even more of that coming up in, you know, in future episodes, but. So, anyways, and so that's 1930-31. They finished with the third worst record in the NHL. So they're they're also not doing well on the ice either. You know, they got some stars, but they're just not you yeah. know, playing well. And so this is the final year we're going to talk about today's show, 1931 to 32. And uh, this is, and then we want to talk about the, I believe, what do you say, fifth star that Jack Adams finds. Yeah. And it, this is the, and this is a key thing. So these five guys are going to be the guys that the only like these are the the core guys that are going to be with Adams when we get to thirty five. So young, so Doug Young, yes. Doug and this is young. a and this is a teaser for what I was alluding to earlier with the captaincy of 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 Doug Young. 
or I'm sorry, of, of Abby Goodfellow. Mm-hmm. So Doug, this is our early pay. This is a super, I didn't even have this in my book. I found this like, I mean, just today I found it because it was, you know, scanning the internet. Um, because, uh, because I just, I couldn't believe I found this. I just love this picture. But this is like, this is Doug Young. I believe it with him with the Hamilton Tigers. This is not a Detroit Cougar uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, anyways, this, uh, but this is super, but anyways, Doug Young is going to be, such an incredibly important piece to the 1935 Detroit Red Wings. Oh yeah, he is can be such a he is such a important component. He is like so Doug Young, and this is like the sort of teaser for what I was talking about earlier with with Abby's captaincy. So Doug Young is a star. He is a star, right? But he but he's got this weird issue, this strange issue. He's a handsome brute. Yeah, he's yeah, good looking dude, and uh, he's great. But he's a, he's a defenseman. He's okay. a defenseman, and um, and he, there's Doug's got this problem where he's like, especially when we get to thirty five, because he's going to be surrounded by a galaxy of stars. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't like they they the only way that they they can assess like he Adams looks at him like you are one of the best players I've ever seen. Like you are one of the best players, but Doug doesn't believe in it. Like that's it's just the greatest like sort of character arc for a movie ever, because Doug doesn't like he doesn't see it in himself. He like everybody else sees this. The physical ability is there, yeah. the skill is there, and he's but he's kind of like he's kind of like defers to everybody else because everybody else is the star. Ebby's a star. Herbie's a star. Mm-hmm. Ori's a star. As we're gonna see in the you know like Marty Berry's a star. Everybody's always is all yeah. these stars. But Doug's, you know, Doug doesn't see. They're, it, Adams is looking at Doug Young, saying, "You're the most talented guy we have. Why you you are a star among stars?" Yeah. But he wasn't. But he deferred. He Does was somebody always, pull him out of his shell? Something has to happen. Yeah. To convince Doug Young, come on, Dougie, that he is in fact not just a a great player, but he is like the guy. Something's got it. They've got to do something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like the best teaser I'm going to give you, unless you read the unless you read the book, and then you can just go right to the answer. <laughs> but it's going to be it's a feature. It's a focal component of what's going to happen in 35. But he is an incredibly talented player. But he just doesn't like, and he plays well. It's not that yeah. he doesn't play well. He's just that Adams wants him to kick it up to the superstar status that he knows he's capable of. And Doug just doesn't like – he just is always – he's just really deferential. He's just really like – he'd rather just play a good game mm-hmm. than like sort of max out and play a, an amazing game. Right. And that's sort of like – that's like an ongoing issue with Doug Young like all the way through – all the way through to 1935. And so anyways, so that's Doug Young. And his nickname, um, the Glycan – I think I'm spelling it, saying this right. The Glycan Cowboy. The Glycan Cowboy. Yes. What and the hell is that? I think it's a town in Canada. I think that's – I, I got to look again in my chapter. But I think it's – a. but they, his nickname is also – they didn't just call him the Glycan Cowboy. They call him just Cowboy. But but the, but they they refer to him in articles in the Detroit Times and such as the Glycan Cowboy. And But I think like friends just called him the Cowboy, you know, cowboy because he was – he loved riding horses. At one point he wanted to be a jockey, but he got too big to be a jockey. So, um, so they, so that, I think that's why they <laughs> could be him. a jockey. I'm going to go play in the NFL. Yeah. No, NHL. Yeah. So he's, but he's like, NHL. yeah. So yeah, they're like, he's like, I wanted to be a jockey, but I got too big, you know, like, but that was, I think maybe that, you know, you can see the humor behind that. Maybe that's why they started calling him cowboy, I guess. I didn't really find an actual, an exact reason, but, 
Um, so anyways, uh, so here we are. We've sort of come to the end of the, uh, end of like what I wanted to get to today. Yeah. But, uh, but I want to lead off, like finish off this story because this is kind of what I was hoping to lead up to. Yeah. Is that, so we're sort of facing a critical, oh, and I finished the year. So 1931-32, which is, um, first, second, third, fourth. This is Adam's fifth year in Detroit. Right, right. Their second year is the Falcons. They're still the Falcons. They're finishing up the 1932 season, and they have a record of 18, 20, and 10, which is actually uh, good enough for third place in the American division. Hey. And, and they they qualify for their first playoff appearance. Holy smokes. But they get beaten in the first round. Ah. So, But they get there. They, they're making a little bit of headway. Uh, yeah. It's a, a learning so, experience. It's a learning experience, yes. Yeah. So they make their first playoff appearance, so that's good. Mm-hmm. They, but the only downside is the team's bankrupt. No, <laughs> so no. that's bad. <laughs> that's know, not like, good. No. So they're so bankrupt. You're like, I thought you guys were going to say how bankrupt. How are bankrupt they? are they? <laughs> they're so bankrupt that uh, Adams' bosses are the bankers who are managing the team through receivership. Oh boy! So like his bosses are on the board of a, I don't even know, like you know, some city bank or something. <laughs> you know, they're they're that that's his bosses, and they're you know, imagine so. And so the so the team is cash strapped beyond all measure. So Adams sort of faces a choice at this moment because the bankers they're just looking to get whatever money back that they have into the team. And yeah. so they're looking over at you know the only real assets that Adams has is the stars he's collected, you know. And Ebby Goodfellow, they're like, "Hey, I heard I thought Boston offered you 50 grand for Ebby Goodfellow." And he's like, Where'd you hear that? You know, like, <laughs> Who's telling you them who's lies? Telling you that I didn't hear anything. <laughs> about that. And they're like, we have an ungood authority yeah, that boss like is offering you fifty grand for Abby. You know, he's sneaking like, the house uh, with that hundred dollar <laughs> yeah. bottle of bourbon. Your yeah. wife's like, I thought you had plenty of bourbon already. He's like, no, yeah. I didn't hear that from. <laughs> so, anyways, they yeah. So their banker. So so Jack Adams is in a tough spot because he knows he's assembling this core. This core of stars, right? And so he know, and it's taken him five years to get to this point wow. where he's built up these guys. And these bankers want to sell him off, and so he, so that's the situation he faces, which is we can either uh, we can either sell the stars and become you know and extend prolong you know this team's existence by a little bit, or I can keep the stars, you know, and you know, like, but the problem. So if, if so, here's the thing: if he keeps the stars, they basically go bankrupt. They go broke now. Yeah, like the team's done. But if they sell the stars, they can go. They can carry on for a little bit longer. But he has no stars, and the team's going to become irrelevant, and they're going to fail anyways, no matter what. So that's the situation that they face right now. What are they going to do? That's where we're going to leave the viewer, the listener, <laughs> hanging into the next week, to oh, the next no. show. Yeah. All right. So I mean, do you do you sell off some of the stars? Do you fight and keep them? And yeah, how do you become a profitable? Or do you pray? Team? There's a third option. There's, <laughs> There's the prayer. prayer. There's the prayer. The prayer route for a hero. For a hero to that, come to town. You're praying that Bitcoin turns things around That's, for you. And, that, that can, well, Bitcoin didn't exist at that point, but, <laughs> but, it's an, but it's, there's an equivalent force which you say, please, Lord, let a, rich, let, a rich, <laughs> let a rich, diehard hockey fan with a grudge come to town, buy Uh-oh. the team, and have an on-ice war to wage with another owner and be willing to spend <laughs> millions of dollars doing so. Oh. That's the prayer that Jack Adams was asking for. Good Lord. And we'll find out next week if his prayers were answered. Run on Grand River. That's it. Yeah. Hand, hat in hand, asking yeah. for some handouts. Oh, yeah, asking for handouts. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, so know. just uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, people that are listening, watching on Facebook or watching on YouTube, appreciate can you I squeeze spending one last, time. Can I squeeze one last little thing in? Nope. 
not before I say thank you to Catherine and Simon and right. for chiming in. Hey, and then, Simon. Uh, now that I've said thank you to Catherine and That's Simon great. for chiming in. I'm saying in, thank you to both of them, too. You can add one more thing. So I wanted to mention, I have a little note at the bottom here. One of the, one of the little weapons that Jack Adams yeah. had that is a sort of an unknown thing was his wife, Helen. Oh. Okay, I wanted to mention this real quick. In his scouting and development world, Helen Adams grew up in a family of seven brothers oh. that were all diehard hockey fans oh. in Canada. Sounds like my wife. And she was like she was she was she, like she helped him scout. She like when he was on the road, she would send him reports about all the Olympics games that he did not see. Oh. She was a major facility, you know, major factor in the, uh, the career of Jack Adams. And I you're love that. See her appear in numerous pictures with him. Um, she is an ever present. I wrote her into the screenplay as a major contributor because. Um, because she was. I mean, there's no, yeah. there's, there can be no doubt about that. So just wanted to throw that in there. I have it in my notes, and I didn't want to, like, flip the page and not Yeah. Not mention that. Oh, no, it definitely, it's uh, got to give her her props. Like Colin, my wife, Colleen, she was one, she was one of eight kids, but uh, six brothers <laughs> growing yeah. up. And it's just like she's, uh, she loves her hockey well, and but sports, it's, it's, man. You know, I'm it's just a, saying it because it's part of the story. You yeah. Know? Because, like, I mean, she, you know, it's a, it's it helps to kind of throw light on, like, Jack. I mean, there they was a, you know, um, you know, a type of situation where, you know, that's his, you know, this is an early age of hockey. They don't have like these big, massive scouting departments right. and stuff. And the fact that he's got Helen, his wife, who's a diehard hockey fan, a diehard, yeah. you know, knowledgeable about the knowledgeable, game. And yeah. um, I, I, I have an idea of what type of woman she might yeah, have been. Yeah. So she, you know, so she throws, <laughs> so she's, a, you know, so she plays an important part. And so, you know, that's, so it's, it's so I, I just think, you know, it's, 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 I guess you call it a, you know, Jack's secret weapon yeah. with his wife. So I just want to throw that in too. All right. We also have to say hi to Charlotte, uh, who checked in late. I'm here pretty sure well. that's my mom. Unless I don't really know too many Charlottes except for my uh, mom. I'm named Charles after my mom. She oh. uh, named me after her, which Charles is a massive Howell? form of Avison's my last name, but yeah, Howell. Fair her. play. Yep. So, hi, mom. So, how you doing, Mom? <laughs> She's one of our biggest fans, if That's not it. the biggest. So, my mom did chime in. So, Jeez. there you go. She doesn't have a computer, so there's, oh, there's that. That's, that's a good reason. That's a good <laughs> She's 90 and doesn't have a computer. Oh, so, like you know, well, get her one. There's that. Merry Christmas was just around the corner. just happened. <laughs> no, she does. She's get got her a one. Computer. And, get uh, her a computer. Set her up. Put it the is. show on and say, watch it. Sometimes you got to put it in her hand. <laughs> <laughs> I've made her listen to some before. Okay. So, I mean, no. Maybe she's, she's, well, maybe she's she just she's doesn't been. want to. We were yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> she I know. She doesn't like you. No, she likes you. I was joking. But, yeah. Yeah, thanks to everybody who uh, spends a little bit of time with us. We do appreciate it. Like, subscribe, leave a comment. There's merch everywhere. DetroitCityOfChampions.com, WearingFunny.com, and uh, everywhere in between. Yeah. So until uh, next time, we're going to get the rest of this story. Uh, our prayers are going up. <laughs> yeah, we're pray- remember, next week we're praying that a super rich – a super rich, diehard hockey fan with an intense grudge against other owners in the NHL who's willing to wage his on-ice war through Detroit is going to come to town. That's, that's our all, prayer. That's, our gonna, that's what we're hoping happens. And we're going to keep it on ice. <laughs> yes, we're, yes, we're hoping that something like that maybe happens. All right, till next time, keep your stick on the ice. <laughs> yes, that's a great quote. I love that. It's the fastest hour in history. <laughs> it is quick. God almighty. Just like I just sat down.